Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Byers. Welcome back to my podcast. And today I'm going to be talking about raising or rearing emotionally, spiritually healthy kids. That's something we, we who have children all want to do, don't we? We want to raise emotionally healthy children. And it's, it's a pretty tall order. I know when I was a child, I was a child in the 50s, I was a teenager in the 60s, and in the 60s, of course, we had uh, the counterculture, the sexual revolution, and we also had the beginnings of the Jesus movement. So for me, I didn't have a spiritual foundation, so I found all of it pretty confusing. And really, uh, the emphasis when I was growing up was on obedience. Uh, The parents passed down their let's say edicts, (laughs) rules, and so on. And the child was to listen and become obedient, uh, a lot of times out of fear of punishment and being shamed. But then what you learned was uh, striving to perform. But that's not really the goal of good parenting, is it? The goal of good parenting is to raise not perfectly obedient kids, not perfectly compliant kids, but well-rounded, responsible adults who take responsibility for their lives. That's the end goal, and it's important to keep it in mind because we are not in a sprint. We're in a marathon, and especially on difficult days when children are acting anything but responsible. So today's culture is very different than when I was growing up in two primary ways. The first is we are, our our children are so shaped by technology. Um, By the time my grandkids were two years old, they could get in my iPhone and swipe it and get to videos and knew how to do all sorts of things. And um, so parents have to be very intentional about media, very intentional about what's safe, and hold their boundaries well until kids are old enough to learn the impact of media. Uh, media is very powerful, and there, there, there can be very good uses for it as well. The second thing besides technology and media is our culture is now really one uh, where tolerance is emphasized. It is presented as love, but it's a very disordered type of love. It's equated with being loving. So we're going to have to talk to our children about real and complicated things, gender identity, diversity, politics, faith, morals, and teach them, no, we aren't to tolerate everything. Tolerance isn't love. We're in a culture where um, really since the 20th century, it's been one of moral relativism. And so what that means is it's the idea there's no absolute truth. Everything is relative depending on uh, the traditions, the convictions, the practices, the culture that you're in. But we, we know as Christians that God does have truth. When we look at our culture today and some of the tolerance and relativism, what we see is that gender identity, the fluid gender identity is going mainstream. And in LGBTQ adults, it has doubled in the last decade. It's now reached 7%, which is a small but growing and very vocal group. 69% of our population in the U.S. believes cohabitation is acceptable. 
And in Gen Z, that generation that's about 17 to 25 right now, they're moving toward adulthood, moving toward um, learning what their um, self is. There are twice as many atheists and it's more liberal and open to more social trends and more diversity. The average age that a child will view porn is 11, and that's really scary. So I'm not giving all these statistics to say, oh my goodness, we need to, we Christians need to hide away. No, I think more than ever, we need to step forward, but we can't just teach biblical worldview. We have to train them in it day by day. When they come home from school, when they talk about this, uh, these fluid genders, um, we have to talk to them. And adolescence particularly is a time when they can get confused about their own identity. And, and children need, uh, I mean, parents need to remain calm and peaceful, but be able to talk about it. We keep communication open. We keep welcoming their questions, but teaching them how to honor God in the midst of all of it. Because sometimes we can just feel so overwhelmed that we're paralyzed but if we do that, we're giving our kids over to the darkness of the culture. So how can we be proactive? So Jim Burns has written a book called Understanding Your Teen, and he has some helpful ideas. One, he says, parents stay in the place of leadership. A lot of times we have enabled our kids, we've indulged our kids, and really we've taught them to be self-centered and irresponsible, not responsible. So we have to rise up and take the place the Lord has given us, not in an authoritarian way, but we lead with love and purpose and benevolent authority. When kids have weak and inconsistent discipline and poor boundaries, they really get confused and their wills aren't properly shaped. So we affirm them, we nurture them, but at the same time, we express consistent expectations and consistent standards, and we hold them accountable. And research has actually shown that consistency is far more important than how strict your standards are. The second thing is we shape their behavior. We have high expectations, but we don't crush their wills. We want children who have strong wills, not self-will, but strong wills. We want them to develop responsibility and really sturdy character for them to, to get emotionally healthy. So one of the things we have to do is give them the freedom to fail. Give them the freedom to fail. Some parents can't seem to quite do that. Uh, but they're not going to grow unless they fail and learn and stumble and get up again. They're in the process of moving from being dependent to becoming independent, which is what we want them to do. And if we don't let them fail, we're sending them the message that they aren't capable of learning and trying and getting up again. So Foster Klein has written a book called Parenting Teens with Love and Logic. There's a whole series of Love and Logic books that have a lot of good things in them. And he says there's four steps toward teaching them to become more responsible. First thing is give them responsibilities appropriate to their age, very clear. Every Friday, you're to take out the trash by 8 a.m., something like that. Second thing is, trust them to carry it out. I know, trust them to carry it out. Third, when they don't, uh, have appropriate consequences. Step back, let the consequences take over, but still express empathy. Oh, I'm so sorry you don't get to go to the 
um, event tonight because you didn't, you know, complete your responsibilities. Then you simply turn back around and give them the same responsibility again with the same consequences all over again. And it sends a really powerful message. I trust you. You're capable. You can learn from your mistakes. So uh, my kids, I have four, and um, before they got keys, uh, they had to complete a, a, a driving contract. And we sat down and discussed it, and it was very specific. I think it was three pages long. If you get a speeding ticket and it's 10 to 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna maybe lose your keys for two weeks or so, something like that, plus pay the ticket. Oh, of course, they were very eager to sign it. And then one of my daughters got a speeding ticket. Uh, she's the one we called the party on wheels. Mm. She was just so dismayed, you know, it, she, she was felt so ashamed. She got stopped and then it was expensive. And, uh, and I was so happy to be able, you know, to pull that contract out and said, oh, let me take a look. Yeah, 3C says you have to give me your keys for two weeks. And, and I knew there wouldn't be an argument because the consequences were clear ahead of time. So, and I, but I was empathetic and I lent her the money to pay for it until she could, I think, babysit and pay me back. The third thing is we need to encourage them in their peer relationships. You know, the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. And the opposite is true. Good company helps our children develop well. And so uh, whoever we walk closely with, we're going to pick up their habits. So we want our children to have healthy friendships. Um, research, again, has shown that kids who are engaged in school activities, uh, with friends, with church youth groups, have more internal strength overcoming negative cultural temptations. And isolation is deadly for anyone, but particularly for our teens. I've watched my 13-year-old grandson blossom this year because he got in a, uh, a new school, a new group of friends, and um, they're, they're just really great for him and healthy and good kids, and they have a lot of fun together as well. Fourth thing is help them foster spiritual growth. We don't do this by nagging because that's not going to energize their faith. We can't make them connect with God, but we can encourage their friendships at church. We can let them see our deep faith is really an adventure with the Lord. We can pray with them. We can have, um, you know, family times of prayer. And we can give them mission opportunities and other service opportunities. Keeping up faith conversations at homes help help keep them on track. And again, we give them freedom, age appropriate, to make their own decisions. Uh, <clears throat> one of my daughters has three elementary school boys. They're in public school. And every night they listen to an app called Truth Seekers. Truth Seekers, you can find it if you look for the app. Uh, they have a Bible story read to them on this app. Then there is a life application. And then there is a prayer and the guys just love it. They ask for it every night, but the parents love it too because they know the kids are getting the word. They're getting sound doctrine and good application. We can also read them other good books that stoke their imagination in the right direction. If we don't give them good information, they're going to think things up on their own. Uh, we need to help them connect with the Lord so their spirits can come alive. And one of the best ways is when they see your living faith 
especially in the midst of difficulties. Are mom and dad wringing their hands and worried? Or are they trusting the Lord? Are they finding joy in their faith? Uh, another thing is we need to teach them about biblical sexuality in a really positive way. And you let them know you're always available to answer those uncomfortable questions and not to ever shame them in asking. Research overwhelmingly shows that kids want their parents to talk to them about sex. Someone's going to, so it needs to be the parents. And there's lots of good resources out there to help us. Uh, number six, have family fun. Have family fun. This opens their spirit up to us and it builds, it builds good traditions. It develops closeness. My daughters are all in their late 30s and 40s now. And when they're here, sometimes they'll bring the family albums out and talk to their kids about the things we did and laugh about it. But it needs to be a regular thing. And what's so interesting is research shows the primary fun activity that brings families together is camping. If you can stand the bugs, it's camping. The last thing I want to say is get as emotionally healthy yourself as you can be, spiritually and emotionally. In my counseling practice, I've seen so many parents, particularly moms, who just carry too much of the weight of their children's behavior on their backs. Sometimes it was their own childhood trauma as they continued to sort of try to make right what was wrong, even without realizing it, even unconsciously, or try to prevent what happened to them. Regardless, our children's behavior, their poor behavior sometimes, isn't always a reflection of our poor parenting. God was perfect as a father, and he still had Adam who chose his own way. But we can be consistent, prayerful, supportive, and even then when things go wrong, we've got to keep in mind that it's a marathon, not a sprint. We can pray for our kids, but don't put all your prayer, all your time, all your energy into your children and neglect yourself. Tend to your own heart. Make well-laid plans for good parenting because your heart's full and you've tended to your heart. The healthier we are, the healthier our parenting will be. And just know we can weather adolescent storms. We can weather terrible two storms. It's not about perfection in our children. It's about nurturing well, disciplining well with the end goal in mind, training to be responsible adults. And always, if we ask, we have the help of the Lord. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll tune in next time.